and welcome to Good Distinctions. My name is Will Wright. And I'm Teresa Morris. Today, we are talking about open-mindedness for episode three. And so today, I want to begin with a quote from one of my favorite writers, G.K. Chesterton. He says, the object of having an open mind is that of having an open mouth. It's to shut it again on something solid. So, Teresa, why don't you start us off? What, what do you think about that quote? Yeah, I love that quote. It's also one of my favorite quotes because he provides a lot of direction in that. And it's it's a bit humorous because he's touching on this reality that I think can sometimes happen when we talk about open-mindedness, where it can get a bad reputation because there's this illusion that if you are going to be open-minded, you just have to keep your mind open forever, that you're just totally open to new ideas all the time and that you're never actually making a conclusion about something. But what he's hmm. saying is that like, it is good to be open-minded. It's good to, to allow ourselves to engage with new ideas, to wonder at the world, to be curious, um, or even just to say like, I know what I believe, but I want to understand why other people might believe the same thing that I believe. And that the goal of open-mindedness, again, is not just to constantly say like, please change my mind about everything. And I'm not going to walk through the world with any convictions, but that I want to be open to new ideas and be able to then be convicted of truth. And that open-mindedness, I think, ultimately is oriented towards truth and towards the proper use of our intellect because we can know things and we should try to know things and know them better. And of course, when you say truth, you mean, you know, my truth and your truth, Which right? Which are totally different. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have no problem with that. <laughs> yeah. No, I it really, that is also something that uh, GK Chesterton talks a lot about the, the way that human beings can, can look at the world and that something like rain or nature can affect different people differently. But if we're unable to say that the thing affecting us is the same thing, then we totally lose our capacity to even engage with other people. So I do think that this concept of open-mindedness is reliant upon an understanding of objective reality and that mm -hmm. we are able to communicate about the same thing. Um, so I, I do think that the, the importance of clear language and being able to say, hey, Will, what do you think about the nature of God? If we're not talking about the same thing, if when you hear God, you know, we're not able to to speak about the same thing or be able to say like, maybe there is something that we can discover in, in conversation and in community, then, then there's no direction. So I do think that, um, there has to be a direction. I'm interested to hear what you would say is important in navigating those conversations with like proper open-mindedness. Like, how would you say that those conversations need to be directed? Like what is kind of like a practical way to, to, hmm to do open-mindedness. Yeah. I mean, obviously my question about my truth and your truth was absolutely tongue in cheek because there is only the truth. And then there's us trying to be in conformity with that truth, uh, which ultimately is God and the reality, which he created, mm -hmm. um, in varying degrees. I'm sure we'll talk about, uh, the eternal law and natural law and those sorts of things at a later date. But, you know, for me, it, it comes down a lot to what we're about as good distinctions, right? The reason that we chose this name, uh, in this quote from St. Thomas Aquinas, that is sort of guiding the way of seldom affirm, never deny, always make distinctions. And for me, I think, I think that's the the guiding force every time I have a conversation and I'm trying to remain open-minded is, is like you said, you don't have to sell short your convictions. You can hold fast to those convictions while recognizing the really important distinction between what is actually true and your perception of that reality. Because right? mm -hmm. our perceptions are notoriously terrible. Um, this is why eyewitness testimony in court is you know, it's sort of like, take it for what it's worth. This person saw this thing. But then as soon as you get two or three people saying um, that they saw the same thing, then it's taken a little bit more seriously. We at least have that in sacred scripture as well, where there's two witnesses to something it's accepted as true. Um, <clears throat> which of course, we don't want to go too far into that because then it's sort of the majority mm -hmm. rule, mob rule. And that's not what I'm talking about. But 
but it seems that there's this fine line between perceiving something like apprehending something and then the object of reality itself. Mm-hmm. Like when you brought up uh, rain, I, I was thinking about this just a couple of days ago. I was thinking uh, I'm here in Nashville right now and it's a lot, uh, you know, more humid than Phoenix. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not the desert for sure. It was no, raining earlier today. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> But it, it actually wasn't hot at all. It was really, really nice here in uh, early June, which was kind of strange. I expected a lot more humidity. But it did start raining, and I was thinking, man, I'm I'm always so thankful when I am experiencing, like, a thunderstorm, which I love sitting in a thunderstorm. Mm. Uh, I should say sitting next to a thunderstorm, maybe <laughs> under a porch or in a house, like, seeing heat lightning going across the sky. Like, it's beautiful. But then I think about these these poor folks who live on the streets and don't have shelter, and this could potentially be their end. I mean, it could be the the their demise. So the one thing that I think is beautiful and fun to watch could be a literal life and death struggle for someone else. So I think that's a really good example, um, mm-hmm. bringing up the weather, is, is that it is a very different experience of the same truth. Mm-hmm. So it's not to discount our experiences. Um, one thing that, uh, that I, I know Michael Knowles always says on his show, which I, I used to watch regularly, was um, the plural of anecdote is data. And mm-hmm. I had never heard that phrase before, but I loved it. And I was like, yeah, yeah no, that's right. Because if a bunch of people are saying uh, things that happen to them, things that they experience, there's some truth there. There's mm-hmm. some uh, at least signpost pointing towards the truth. And so we should take that Mm -hmm. seriously. And I think when I'm engaging with someone who I don't agree with, I try not to, to just disregard everything they say. I listen to them knowing that I might not agree with them and that's okay. Because I think uh, sometimes we can villainize those people we disagree with, especially if it's a contentious issue, especially if it's something that we think is actually harmful to society or individuals, we kind Mm -hmm. of have this mentality, especially as Catholics, that we want to set people right. Um, And at least as far as, as I'm concerned, I'm not trying to lord it over people or have like a triumphalist approach. It's more like, don't you know that this thing is horrible for you? Mm -hmm. I want more for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially when it comes to things like uh, abortion, for example, where an innocent human child is being murdered. Um, I don't want that. I want that to stop. I want it to stop mm-hmm. immediately. I don't want to be so open-minded that I'm like, well, this is where you are in your journey and, and that's okay. It's like, no, I can never say that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I can do is listen because, and I'll use that example. Um, if I'm talking to somebody who's in a crisis pregnancy, who's contemplating an abortion and she's coming up with all these different reasons why this is a good thing, if I'm so singularly focused on correcting her, then I'm going to miss out on the problems she's actually bringing, which are legitimate. And so, I mean, there's a, a one case anyway, where we're kind of sifting through those things, making those distinctions allows us to actually hear the person mm-hmm. and then respond to them uh, in a real and authentic and genuine way. Yeah, I, I very much agree with that. And I think that there, there are a lot of outcomes that can occur when, when we're engaging with people who think differently than us. Either our minds are changed, which can be a really good thing where, you know, there have been plenty of times in my life where I've thought differently about something after having been in conversation with someone who's better able to explain something or can approach it from a different viewpoint. Um, so either our minds are changed, our minds aren't changed, but we understand the topic better and we're better able to articulate what we believe and think about that thing because we've been in conversation where we've had to do that and had to clarify and perfect our own arguments. And then the third option, which I think can happen regardless, is that we are softened towards the the viewpoints or the life experiences of another, which is what you're referring to with, you know, someone who might be struggling and is tempted to get an abortion. Um, that there, this great Edith Stein quote that I used to have plastered on my classroom wall is don't accept anything as love that lacks truth and don't accept anything as truth that lacks love. 
Mm. And that if we are just approaching people with this, like, I'm going to hit you over the head with truth, um, or I'm just going to say I'm right. And I just am trying to like drag you kicking and screaming with me towards what I think is right. Um, then we kind of live in an illusion that my fellow human being is so different from me when really we're all given the capacity to think well about things. We're all given intellects and just because my intellect has landed on a conclusion that's separate from another should not alienate my fellow man from me. And so if I'm able mm -hmm. to engage with these conversations about truth well, and I'm able to approach it from a perspective of, I don't want to be right. And that's why I want to have this conversation. I want to love this person. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's something about speaking truth and being able to live oriented towards truth that means that you can love people better and that that you can't love people well if you're not able to be free to speak the truth or invite them into it. But it is an invitation. It's not this like, I'm right and you're just coming with me. It really is an invitation. And that's where good conversations are so crucial and the capacity to, to do that well and to be able to not automatically get defensive or just combative with people in these discussions over what we think is right and true. Yeah. There's been a lot of moments in my life where I've, I've come to the realization that what I was so sure about, uh, what I had concluded, right. My conclusion, which kind of seems like final, it seems like, okay, this is not going to change in the future. Just had the doors blown off mm -hmm. multiple times. And uh, so I'm always sort of open to this idea, and maybe this is the open-mindedness part that we started uh, the discussion with, is I need to be open to being wrong on very, very important things, mm -hmm. which is, mm -hmm. a, there's a danger there from a human, like, psychological standpoint, because if the thing that I find to be the most true in my life um, is faulty... Now, maybe not the truth itself, obviously, but, but my perception of it, my apprehension of it, that can cause a crisis, right? Especially if it's something that's so foundational to the way that I operate, the way that I see my daily life, um, my, my viewpoint, my worldview, if that's shaken or, or even shattered, mm -hmm. it can be difficult to kind of pick up the pieces from that. It kind of feels like an existential crisis. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've met a lot of people that they're so intransigent in conversation with people that they don't agree with. And I, I can't help but think that there has to be some sort of psychological thing going on there where this rigidity is coming from a place of, well, if this thing isn't true exactly the way that I believe it, then everything must be up for grabs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very true. And I, I think about that a lot when it comes to matters of faith and morals, or even just mm -hmm. the, the reality of being Catholic or being a religious person in general, that if there was all of a sudden some type of declaration where it was very clear that this was wrong, and that mm. being Catholic was incorrect and that some judgments I had made were wrong. I mean, my whole life would be upended and it's important, like you said, to be able to face that. And because it, it wrestling with that question helps us understand what our convictions are and that if that happened and it was like, Oh, Catholicism is wrong. And my life wouldn't look different. Then it forces me to say, well, like, what am I doing? Like, what, how am I living my life? What do I even believe? Um, and so it's important, I think, to be able to check ourselves and say, you know, what do I believe? What would happen if this changed? How would my life change? How would my view of myself change? How would my view of the world change? How would my view of God change? And am I open to that or, or what would that mean? Mm. Um, and even when we even think about God, like I'm very aware that my concept, when I think about like, what would it mean to go to heaven mm. probably is nothing like what it will actually be. And that doesn't mean that reality is wrong. It just means that I'm so limited in, in what I can imagine. And I'm so limited in what I can know and understand about the nature of God and what he has promised for us. And it's okay if it kind of freaks me out to not know that. Um, but I, I can't live my life with this, like heaven has to look this way um, or God has to look this way or he has to operate this way because we're the ones that are limited, not him. Um, and so I, I think that's also part of the benefit of engaging with people who think differently 
or think the same thing, but come at it from a different perspective is it's a reminder that my own intellect and my own experience is incredibly limited and that we could put together every single human person's concept of God or the world. And we still wouldn't even scratch the surface of the reality of that. Um, and so it is, it's kind of a humbling thing to be able to, to know that we can continue to add on to our understanding of things um, and not be so clinging to um, our own conclusions or our own views and, and methods of how we got to answers. I think I might've mentioned this um, before. I can't remember if it was in a conversation with you or offline, but it's one of my fav favorite quotes from St. Augustine is that the truth is like a caged lion. You don't need to defend it. You simply need to open the cage and it will defend itself. Mm -hmm. And that comes to mind because as you were talking, I was thinking, hmm, if Catholicism wasn't true, how would it change my life? And I can't, I can't even go there because mm -hmm. it is true. And this is one of the things is like, okay, but how can I, at the one point, on the one hand, how can I say, well, I know that Catholicism is true. Someone who's, who's not Catholic or who is an atheist will look at that and go, well, that's your opinion. And it's like, no, no, mm -hmm. it's not. But here's the, here's the distinction. Here's the difference. I think when it comes to fallible human beings, absolutely. We can be wrong. But the thing is the Catholic church is divinely constituted. Right? It's something that is the action of God. It's not a human um, institution primarily. It's not a human invention. And so I think when it comes to reality itself, those things that are the highest truths, which are not dependent on any of us, is that God exists, Jesus Christ is God, and that the Catholic Church was founded by Jesus Christ, who is God who exists, right? Going in this mm -hmm. way and then this way. So those things are, are absolutely fundamentally true to reality. Because if those things aren't true, then I don't know what would possibly be true. I mean, there's so much evidence to support all three of those things on different, um, different grounds, not simply theological. But when you look at all the other um, religions in existence, it's interesting because they're all a claim made by a human being with the exception mm -hmm. of Catholicism. Catholicism is the only religion in which the one who founded it, Jesus, claimed to be God. Mm -hmm. No one else claimed to be God. Muhammad didn't claim to be God. Buddha didn't claim to be God. Um, Hinduism and all the other pagan religions like the ancient Greeks and ancient Romans, it was personifications of nature and nat natural forces and these sorts of things. It wasn't a personal relationship uh, like what Jesus had with his apostles and disciples. And then through the Holy Spirit, we have with, with the triune God. So there's this interesting sort of distinction there between what the church herself is versus our human understandings, which are fallible and subject to change and wrong and all these things. So as I was, as I was thinking about what you were saying, I, I just imagined a Pope saying, uh, you know, actually we were wrong for the last 2000 years. There's not three persons in the Trinity. Yeah. There's actually four. And it would be like, Oh, cool. He's a heretic. Cause right. you can't, you can't redefine the fundamental reality of the fact that God is father, son, and Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. that's, that's more foundational than anything that exists materially. So, um, mm -hmm. and we have good reason to, to know that even from philosophy, uh, reading yeah. St. Thomas Aquinas and others. <clears throat> so I, I think, uh, that, that distinction is super important is that just because, um, somebody in the Catholic church says something that's funky mm -hmm. doesn't mean that we need to throw away the whole thing. Right. Uh, this is the throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And I've seen it so many times as people will come up against something in the church and then they'll just leave um, because of one little thing that has nothing to do with what the Catholic faith actually holds. It could be, well, this priest didn't treat me well. Um, not that he was abusive, but just he said something mean to me in the narthex and I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to leave. Well, that's a horrible reason to leave the, the church of Jesus Christ, but yet people do this all the time. So mm -hmm. I understand the rigidity of people to an extent. Um, they don't want to have their faith shaken, but 
but at the same time, I think we need to be ready to be shaken. Right. Yeah. And, and thank goodness that we have a faith that has clear direction for, for truth and what we're made for and, and how to live because it actually, even though that can be perceived as being incredibly rigid, it's actually incredibly freeing to be able Mm -hmm. to perceive in myself a question about God or my own existence or, you know, how I'm supposed to live my life and to know that there's a place where there's an answer for me to then follow. And it doesn't mean that that answer is going to look the same in my life as it does for somebody else, but there is an answer to follow and that that actually helps me get where I want to go faster and with less harm to myself. And if I'm able to say, oh, here's the end goal of my life, my own existence, or the end goal of a certain desire. And then I'm able to say, oh, the world is proposing this other avenue towards this end, but it's never actually getting there. Then I'm more freely able to say, I don't want to go down that path. I want to go down Mm -hmm. this one. Um, And so the church and the truth that the church offers is such a gift to us. And and the the rigidness is something that actually is incredibly protective for us and and really ultimately very freeing because you don't have to make a ton of decisions i mean you have to choose it but it's like i don't have to spend my life wrestling with finding out those answers for myself but they really are given um but i'm wondering what you would say to some Catholics who are apprehensive about engaging with people who think differently, especially now. Mm-hmm. I think what what that looks like now is is much different than what that looked like a hundred years ago to really engage with someone who thinks differently. Um, I think especially in regards to raising children. I'm not a parent. Will is, um, and I wonder what it looks like or how a parent could balance exposing their children to ideas that are different. Um, and helping them work through finding the hmm. truth and helping them learn how to engage with people who think differently and be open-minded while still protecting them and still orienting them towards what's true. So I think that's a huge hesitation with a lot of Catholics where they're like, well, I don't want to follow certain pages that think differently, or I don't want to send my kids to certain places or homes where we know that they think differently. Um, where do you find the balance there? Like, how would you help someone think through that? Hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, it's something that I've been thinking a lot about. I mean, my my oldest son is almost six. Uh, the youngest is almost two. And, you know, frankly, I I think until he reaches the age of reason, I don't want him exposed to anything that I think is harmful, ideologically speaking. Uh, inevitably, it comes up. I mean, they went to a, a daycare with all sorts of other kids from different families and they would watch shows and things that we simply don't let them watch. Um, but when my son came across that, he was able to say, Oh, I don't watch those at home. Mm-hmm. And then I talked to him. I said, Oh, well, that, that's good. Why, why do you think that's, why do you think we don't let you watch these things? He was mm-hmm. like, because they're scary. Well, sometimes why else? He was like, cause they have bad words and maybe it's not good for me. Like, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. It's not. There's a lot of people that make different decisions. And this is what I tell them. I say, you know, some parents have different decisions that they make for their kids. And um, that is their decision, but it doesn't mean that they're right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm not, not bad-mouthing anybody, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying, you know, adults make decisions sometimes that are not good. Mm-hmm. Um the other thing my wife and I are pretty intentional about is when we do something that is wrong, um, we'll admit it to our son, um, not the two-year-old. He, he you know, but the, the almost six-year-old, like we'll, we'll have a conversation with him and be like, Hey, you know, I shouldn't have, uh, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Um, he's actually started calling me on things. We got in the car <laughs> one day and this lady was giving me a dirty look because it took me too long to get my son in the car seat. I guess, mm-hmm. um, ugh, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> I was frustrated thinking about her. Um, but I was like, I rolled down my window and I was like, thanks for the dirty look. <laughs> and, and Killian was uh, from the backseat. My son just goes, that was rude. Dad. <laughs> I'm like, like hmm. shut up kid. No, I was like, no, you're probably right. You're probably right. 
so I think being honest, being open, having those conversations as things come up, but then there's other things that I just, I will not expose them to. Um, you know, it's interesting. I don't really want to go down this, this rabbit hole of this tangent, but it, just to, to mention in the early two thousands, um, the USCCB came out with a directive that said that children should not even know about, uh, divergent adult sexual behavior like homosexuality and these sorts of things that uh, they shouldn't even know about it until mm -hmm. they reach the age of reason at least. And I'm thinking about that in 2023 and it's like, how, mm -hmm. how do you, how could you right. possibly do that today? Um, so it's, it's very interesting kind of finding that line about living in the world mm -hmm. while not being of the world. And then having that open, honest dialogue with your children to say what's true, what's not true. Um, mm -hmm. I think this totally changes though, when they're teenagers, mm -hmm. like having taught teenagers. I mean, I know, you know, this, it's like, you can't tell them what's wrong. You really can't, you can try, but until they discover that for themselves in some way, it's not going to click. And so they, they need to make that, that meaningful connection that, okay, this is, oh, I see what they were saying now. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, right. And then they'll probably still make the same stupid mistakes because they're teenagers, but um, so they I think explain that's why it was wrong. <laughs> exactly. So, I, and I, but I think that's exactly right. You've taught them what's right. You've taught mm -hmm. them what's true and good and beautiful mm -hmm. so that when they come across something that isn't, they can recognize it maybe right. even subconsciously. Yeah. Uh, I was, uh, Deacon Bob Rice from Franciscan university was giving a talk one time, um, a few years ago, and he was talking about how the FBI, when they train, uh, people for their counterfeiting office will bring in the new recruits and sit them down in a room with a hundred dollar bill for eight hours uninterrupted. And they're, they're supposed to like stare at it, put it up to the light, crinkle it, examine it, look at it for eight hours, mm. which sounds horrible. Um, mm -hmm. But then the next day they say, okay, we really want you to get this right. So we're going to do this again. Mm. And the second they get in that room and they touch what is now a fake hundred dollar bill. Mm. They know immediately, like intuitively, they barely touch it. And they're like, this is counterfeit. Huh. And that's the point. Right. So yeah. I think, um, and, and Deacon Rice said something along the lines of, so youth ministers, listen, stop talking crap about Justin Bieber. Cause you're not going to, you're not going to get through to these kids by telling them yeah. their music's bad. Right. Um, you're attacking their very soul here. Yeah. Um, so, but I think yeah. there's a lot of truth to that. We, we can't just mm -hmm. sort of go in and say, well, you're wrong and here's why, right. yeah. but we can absolutely present what's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is a much more effective way to do evangelization. It's a much more effective way to do education and just, you know, parenthood, I'm sure life in general is presenting something beautiful and good because if our response to the culture, things that we don't agree with is just to condemn it, but we're not proposing something else mm -hmm. in response to it, then we all kind of just hate our lives. I mean, it's like, it's, it's 0% fun to teach that way to just rag on things all the time or say, you know, like Olivia Rodrigo is the worst. Why do you like her? Like it's, you have to be able to propose something in response to it and be able to engage with the reality there. But I do think that that's the key. And that's why something like the Benedict option um, may not be the most fruitful thing for Catholics in the world where it's just we're removing ourselves out of fear because mm. then anytime I encounter someone who does think differently, I just respond out of fear and I lose this sense that everyone is created to be in union with Christ. And if mm -hmm. I start to think, wow, this person who thinks differently isn't also made for the same thing, or I think I'm more beloved by Christ because I am Catholic or something, then I've really lost sight of everything. And there's such a hubris in that to think that I have something that other people don't and therefore I'm better. And therefore I can separate myself from other people and isolate myself from the world. Um, mm -hmm. So it is, it's, it's an interesting tension to, to be in the world and out of the world and to do that well. Um, and I, I do think that there is something beautiful about the innocence of children, like you're referring mm -hmm. to that. I remember when I was really young, 
I, my first crush was Abraham Lincoln and I was in like first or second grade and I was reading all these books about him and don't judge me. Um, he hated the and, constitution. He was okay, a okay, terrible well, <laughs> lawyer. Anyway. I didn't have very nuanced views of him at the time, but I was like, man, this person was so convicted of what was good. And, you know, he's a great speaker, whatever. And I just, I was so in love with him. And then I remember the day that I found out that he wasn't Catholic and I was like six or seven <laughs> and I had this crisis and I was talking to my dad and I was like, I like, I could never marry him because he wasn't Catholic. And he was like, also he's dead. So there yeah. is that aspect as well. <laughs> um, but just this sense that there's a really beautiful innocence in children of mm. being so purely convicted of what's true without this sense of like, oh, Abraham Lincoln was bad because he wasn't Catholic. And now being able to be like, he's still, you know, he still has access to heaven and whatever. But there is something worth protecting in in children in that, that, that truth is allowed to be black and white for them. Um, and then as you get older, you know, you go through this appropriate process of wrestling and discovering for yourself um, and figuring out what it means to to participate well in the world without conforming towards it. Um, so it's tough to do. Well, I think when Abraham Lincoln met his demise, you know, God actually <laughs> waited. You know, pr the particular judgment happens upon our death immediately. But I think for Abraham Lincoln, maybe... Maybe it didn't, and maybe he's actually in purgatory until the end of time because maybe. God suspended the writ of habeas corpus for <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, just like he did for everybody else during the Civil okay. War. <laughs> History teacher here. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, no, I love it. Your Abraham first Lincoln. crush doesn't have a national monument dedicated to them, so just put it out there. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, everybody gets a national monument these days. Um, no, I, Abraham Lincoln's great. I Very, very important president. <laughs> I'm in support in general. Also, the party of Lincoln got rid of slavery and these sorts of things. Very good. Excellent. <laughs> Big fan. Okay, so Abraham Lincoln aside, I think, uh, you know, when you were talking about the Benedict option, I was never a huge fan of the idea. And I know that the book was taken way out of context. I don't think that's actually what... Um, the author intended entirely, but that's what a lot of people did is this idea of, well, I can't raise my kids in this specific type of Catholicism that I want to. So I'm just going to go and make my own compound and, you know, have only like-minded folks around me. And you know what? I get it. I am very sympathetic to that, especially having children. Like every time I send them somewhere that's not Catholic, I'm wondering what are they going to come home with? What am I going to hear about? Um, but it's either that, or I live in the middle of nowhere off the grid and I'm, I'm not willing to do that at this point. So, uh, I think that there's still an idea of evangelizing the culture. And also I, I hope my kids can be part of that. Like I hope I'm forming them well enough to be, uh, able to go and evangelize their friends and these sorts of things. But but we're, we're starting our, our son this fall in a Catholic school. So like, I'm a big proponent mm -hmm. of Catholic education, as long as it's actually Catholic, which we're going to have another episode talking about mm -hmm. Catholic education. So I'm not going to go there yeah. down, but, but it reminds me of all these different Catholic personalities on the internet, which I say this in full humility, knowing that we are uh, amongst these numbers now yeah. and that's fine. But you know, I think the difference between what I'm seeing and what we're trying to do, which I know we've talked about this very intentionally, is we're not trying to tell you what to think. Right. We're really, really not. What we want to do is present a way of thinking, a way of approaching different problems and um, and thinking through things. I mean, that's why we don't have scripts for these episodes. We really want to think on our feet for the most part. We generally know where we're going with the conversation, but... We want to to help you. I mean, our, our tagline, right, is reigniting good conversations, finding the best distinctions and inspiring others to do the same. That's what we're about, because, frankly, I've saw so many people who were Catholic speakers um, over the last 20 years, even that it became something really silly to me. I would see these Catholic speakers at big conferences, go to the green room and just hang out with other Catholic speakers and wouldn't talk to any of the conference attendees. And I was like, that's kind of foolish. What are, mm -hmm. what's that about? Mm -hmm. And uh, then I saw the same thing with, with YouTube celebrities and podcasters and these sorts of things. 
just saying the silliest things, um, not making these distinctions, taking something like I was talking about earlier with the fact that the church is divinely constituted and then there's other human institutions. Well, there's a lot of things in the Catholic Church that are good and beautiful and holy, and but they, they belong to private revelation rather than public revelation, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm thinking here of, I'm trying to use my words carefully, pick my words carefully here because I want to use the rosary as an example. I love the rosary. I pray the rosary every day. I wish everyone would pray the rosary every day. But for example, you will never, ever hear me say that if you don't pray the rosary, you're not on the team. For example, I don't know who would say that. That would be a really stupid thing to say. Just pulling that um, out of nowhere. As a Catholic person on <laughs> YouTube who potentially lives in Texas and is a, a, a really good apologist for a set of a contism. <laughs> I'm talking about Taylor Marshall, just to be very clear. He annoys the hell out of me. But anyway, um, here's the thing, though. I used to listen to him all the time. I would listen to everything he put out. Uh, especially when TNT was going on with Timothy Gordon and I, I love their exchanges. I love the, you know, the, the masculine approach to Christianity. Let's stop being effeminate. And, and to an extent I'm like, I am, I'm still there with you, mm. but where I, where I, they lose me is this approach that lacks any sort of tact or making any sort of good distinctions or seeing any good, true and beautiful thing outside of this one narrow mm. view of Catholicism. Right. And it's absolutely not in line with, um, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas, mm -hmm. um, which isn't a huge deal. It's not like Taylor Marshall runs a institute that's named after St. Thomas. Oh, wait, wait. Yes, he does. All right. Enough bashing. St. We're not, we are not the Taylor Marshall, the anti-Taylor Marshall, uh, anti Marshall podcast. Um, if you want that, you can go to reason and theology. It's a great podcast. Love Michael Lofton, but he does plenty of that for all of us. Mm. Um, but no, I bring him <laughs> up because, you know, I love, I love that he's doing what he's doing in principle. Right. Um, and it's not just Taylor Marshall. I mean, there's all kinds of other, um, Catholic celebrities, but the lack of nuance and the lack of, um, charity most of mm -hmm. the time is just astounding to me. And the people that I meet who love it, who follow it and eat it up, become some of the most intransigent, uncharitable people, and they're very difficult to be around, even though mm -hmm. I agree with them on 95% of things. Because right. frankly, I agree with 95% of what Taylor Marshall says um, and others, but it, it, it's difficult. I mean, what's, what's your take on all that, Teresa? Yeah, yeah, I know I agree with a lot of what you're saying because I do, I think it is harder to approach the world with a sense of openness. Like what we're talking about in this whole conversation is that it's it's important to be able to be open to new ideas and, and to new ways of thinking about things so that we can then, you know, grasp something solid. But I think it is, it's easier to walk through the world saying, you know, like these people are on the team and these people aren't. And it's just as black and white as that. And I'm on the team, so I'm okay. And it, it is easier to do that. And it's once you start engaging with that mentality or that mode of being, um, it's, it is difficult to get out of it. And it, and it's very tempting mm. to fall into it because it feels very secure. It's like, Oh, I made it into this inside group and now I don't have to worry very much. It's much more difficult to live with nuance and to be open to that and to be compassionate towards people who think differently and to love them enough to want to engage in conversations oriented towards truth, it's far more difficult to do that. But I do think that, that that's the task of education. I think that's why both you and I are drawn to that, that if you spend every single day of your life in the classroom with 15-year-olds talking about truth and trying to help them think through that and give them a language for it, you realize how much more edifying and far more human that is than to just say, hey, here's here's what the answer is, spit it back to me and get in line or else you're out. Um, and so, so I am empathetic towards the reality that for the way human beings are wired, it is simpler to just say, I'm just gonna live in this black and white world and I, I made it in and I'm okay. Um, and I do think that there, there has to be a point of decision for every single one of us to be able to say, 
it's it's okay that it's not as black and white as that and um to be able to rise up to the task of better understanding our own convictions and and really learning how to engage well so i do i very much agree with what you're saying i i think that it's a it's something that's probably been tempting and probably has happened throughout the history of the church and we just see it in this one modality now in the age mm -hmm. of the internet um and and it's important to be able to to help people learn how to to navigate against that and that's one of our goals with good distinctions is to be able to a do what we love which is engage in conversations and listen to people who think differently or just have a different perspective of the same truth that we hold to but also to be able to try to model that for other people because in the sort of contentious culture that we live in, it does get harder and harder to do that delicately and to do that gracefully. And we're going to do it poorly. I've done it poorly plenty of times in the past. I'm sure my students could tell you that. Um, and so it is this constant learning um, and it, it's an art form, I think. And so mm -hmm. I think it's better to engage in that art form than to simply be like, hey, are you on the team or not? And, and that's just, it's not attractive. It's not an attractive way to live mm. the faith. And I don't think that's how Christ operates either currently. And it's definitely not how he operated when he was here on earth. Absolutely. I mean, he, um, he was willing to engage with anyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, he knew it, the father revealed to him what the end looked like for him. And yet he still spoke to the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. Uh, he still conversed with the scribes and the Sadducees. He still had dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes. It, it didn't matter. He would engage with anyone because he came for all. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that goes back to what you were saying about really loving people enough to have conversations with them. I'm excited because here on, on this channel, this show, we're going to be bringing on quite a few different guests. Mm -hmm. Uh, we'll keep the names not public just yet. We're still um, getting our list together, but there's there's probably at least a dozen uh, people that we've been in contact with who are are planning on coming on the show, and some of you I'm I'm sure will have heard uh, their name before, and so very exciting to to have this different these different approaches, this diverse um, group of people on to talk about the things that they're passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, and along the way, we'll, we'll intersperse some episodes of, of just you and I talking about um, who knows what. I mean, we have like 56 items on our topic list that I'm very excited <laughs> about. Out of control. And it keeps growing, uh, <laughs> as it should. Because there's always more to talk about. But I think it's this mm -hmm. way of approaching it, this mm -hmm. way of being open-minded enough to realize that it's okay to change your mind, especially if you're coming across a new way of thinking um, at least new for you about mm -hmm. the same reality and it's getting you closer to the truth. It's examining the mystery in all of its length and breadth and depth and width mm -hmm. uh, and coming to a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ and the faith and reality itself, because, because that's what it is. Right? right. And going back to this distinction between the human and the divine, when we say that we're aiming towards reality itself, we're saying we're aiming towards the divine. We're aiming towards mm -hmm. God. Uh, because he is period, right? He is existence itself. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas trying to grapple with the language to have some way to express something about what mm -hmm. God is, um, like Moses with the burning bush and hearing the name of God of I am who I am and this deep metaphysical reality that God is in all things and contains mm -hmm. all things as St. Augustine says, these are all getting at the same sort of thing. There's nowhere we can go to escape God. I mean, God mm -hmm. is everywhere. Um, and through baptism in a particular way, he's within us, guiding mm -hmm. us, leading us, uh, in his Holy spirit through the son to the father. So there's this interchange of this community of persons that we're in relationship mm -hmm. with that's guiding us towards the truth. So it's not like we're going to get it immediately and all at once. And we absolutely should have our minds open because God is infinite. And we're not, right. uh, we're sort of infinite moving in one direction, but we're not eternal. Mm -hmm. We have a starting right. point and we keep going. Um, but God is, is eternal, both directions. Time doesn't exist for him. He made time. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so how do you grasp that? How do you wrap your mind around that? Well, mm -hmm. you can't. And so you're, you're going to continue to encounter things that you don't know. You're going to continue to find these nuances and distinctions, and that's going to make your life better. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, that's why we say good distinctions are the spice of life because it is, yeah. there's a, there's a beauty there, um, uh, of coming to, a, an epiphany moment or an understanding that, oh, that's neat. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's, oh, that's neat. And other times it's like, wow, that radically changes the way I'm going to live my daily life. Mm -hmm. And right. if it's ordered towards God and the truth, then so be it. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and it also is contingent upon this understanding that reality or knowledge or truth is all a gift to me. Hmm. And if we fall into this trap of thinking that the truth is my own or I discovered it, or it's it's something that I can grasp at, and it's not something that is is a gift. And that's a it's a perspective of phenomenology, which is this branch of philosophy of understanding that reality is given to me. And that's true that, you know, we are not owed this life. We are not owed participation in the existence of God. We're not owed our own being. We're not owed an intellect. These are all gifts. And so the conclusions that our intellects are able to draw and the truths that we're able to discover are really not our own. It's hmm. it, we are discovering something. It's something outside of ourselves. And it's a gift that God has given us that we can know truth and, and know things about him. Um, but when we start to kind of claim it as like, oh, this is ours and we own it and and we have this thing that other people don't have, um, then then we really are losing sight of like who we even are in all of existence. Mm -hmm. And we're positing ourselves as creators and as hmm. having all being, which is, it's just not true. And that we are participating in, in the world that the Lord has created. So I think that perspective is also important that anything that I can discover, whether it's something really big and life-changing, like you said, or it's just something small that I'm able to see, you know, a distinction between something small or seemingly insignificant, that's all a gift to me. And it's not something that I am deserving of. And I think that that hmm. creates a much more joyful way of discovery and a much more joyful way of, you know, drawing distinctions and being in conversation where it's like, gosh, I can wonder at the fact that we can even do this. And, and yeah. that is a really, a really life-giving way to, to live and to do philosophy and to, and to, to engage in conversation. Father Josh Johnson from Louisiana was given a talk a few years ago and he started his talk by saying, I'm just going to drop this knowledge on y'all. You deserve hell. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how he started the conversation. And it was like, huh? what? <laughs> and it's like, oh, wait. Yeah, I'm a sinner. I do actually deserve mm -hmm. hell. Well, it's fascinating that I don't have to go to hell. Thank you, Jesus. Right, <laughs> like, right. It was like, yeah. yeah, like everything is a gift. Even, uh, and I, I think we sort of take some of these things for granted um, and presume quite a lot. Uh, so, yeah, there's a there's definitely a, a virtue to being balanced uh, in our open mindedness, but then also clinging to what is true mm -hmm. uh, and making those good distinctions. Because, like for example, with the rigidity in Catholicism there's a lot of people that aren't sifting through what is actually uh, definitive doctrine and what is aesthetics or incidental. Um, they're sort of putting it all on, well, this is what the Catholic church teaches. Well, no, not exactly. Um, mm -hmm. It could be like, you know, God, uh, God prefers fiddleback chasubles. Well, that would be a really stupid thing. I've actually never heard anyone say that, to be honest. Um, but good. I could just imagine that someone would like, say I'm that. I'm sure someone has. Yeah. I'm sure someone said that. Like, it's totally believable. But it's like, <laughs> okay, I like them, but that's silly to, to mm -hmm. say that. Whereas to say, okay, God is one in three persons. Mm -hmm. I have no right to ever diverge from that because that's true. It's a mm -hmm. dogma. There's only a few dogmas. Right. Mm -hmm. The things that are actually defined, I, I say a dogma is like a doctrine that's been highlighted, underlined, bolded and italicized. Mm -hmm. Like it's it doesn't change the words. It doesn't change what it is, but it's bringing emphasis and a definitiveness to it. Mm -hmm. 
doctrines on faith and morals are something that we're not really free to diverge from either. But then there's a lot of non-definitive teachings that we're simply called to give our submission of intellect and will to, or to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. But then there's also a whole bunch of prudential matters that are applications of principles. And there we can actually disagree and Mm -hmm. still be faithful Catholics. So, and that's not even getting down to the aesthetics and like ways that we, uh, preferences and these sorts of things, the way that the liturgy is, is celebrated, not in terms of the form or the, even the general instruction of the Roman Missal, but like color choices and Mm -hmm. like, not even the liturgical colors. I mean, like what flowers are we using? Like, I've heard people argue about that. Well, you've got to have these. And it's like, that's a silly thing to like die on that's a that's a hill i don't think you should die on um or even something as important like important to me as like autorientum posture versus versus popolum these are are things that are not um they're they're both they're both allowed they're both valid by -hmm. the catholic church so i can have my preference i can even make an i have made an argument in written form publicly that i think autorientum is the better posture and i could say why mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that a mass celebrated versus popolum is illegitimate or bad or evil mm-hmm. or whatever um mm-hmm. i mean taken to the extremes this would be like the sspx position um at least of half their clerics that says that the novus ordo is poison for the soul that mm-hmm. it's actually reprehensible mm-hmm. and offensive to god well they're talking about the mass that's mm-hmm. that's absurd mm-hmm. Yeah. But how easy is it to get sucked into that? Like you said, because it's comfortable. Right. Um, but like Pope Benedict the 16th probably never actually said, but it keeps being attributed to him. You were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. Right. He didn't actually say that. I can't find it anywhere. I have no really? idea if he ever actually said it, Wow. Um, but it's attributed yeah. to him, right? It is. Uh, yeah. And it's still a good quote. It's still true. So who it's cares quote, yeah. whether it's a appeal <laughs> we'll to authority to or not? I think it's still a really good quote, but we weren't made for comfort, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Father Josh Johnson says that we deserve hell. So, yeah, you know, I think it's important to keep that in mind. And, mm-hmm. and as we move forward and when we're having these conversations with people, it's like, you know, there's another trap we could fall into that I'll just mention briefly because it came to mind is I had this one, I actually had this thought when I was talking to somebody I didn't agree with, where I said, oh, well, one day they'll come to believe as I believe. One day they'll mm-hmm. they'll progress, they'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, afterwards, I was like, man, that's a super prideful thing to say, mm-hmm. even if it was in my own head. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, they'll they'll get there eventually, that naive, young Mm-hmm. person, even if they're like mm-hmm. older than me, it's like, I just right, I, yeah. diminutive. Like, like I see them as less than me. Yeah. Um, and I had to like rebuke that in the name of Jesus afterwards. I was like, no, 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 that's, that's mm. a horrible mindset because that's not the point. It's not about being mm-hmm. right and wrong. It's about being in relationship with God who is truth itself. Mm-hmm. It's about mm-hmm. being in this constant dialogue with reality. Right again, which is not some ambiguous, arbitrary thing. It's a person. Mm-hmm. It's Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's why Pope Benedict Sixteenth, who actually did say this, um, <laughs> this is in Deus Caritas S, paragraph one, being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but an encounter with a vent of a person which gives life a new horizon in a decisive direction. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's an encounter okay. with a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's apprehending truth. That's mm-hmm. apprehending reality is encountering the one who made all things right. and contains all things and fills mm-hmm. all things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's such a good point. What you were saying about the approach that we have in conversations with people who think differently, because I do think most people have that sense of being very convicted of their stance, which is totally fine. Um, but this sense of like, yeah, one day someone is going to think what I think that, that there will eventually be this turning towards what I am holding as true. Um, and I think that conversations with true open-mindedness aren't necessarily two people who think that they're totally right. And the other person will eventually get there, but two people who are oriented towards and really love 
truth and are authentically mm-hmm. seeking it because because then there's a freedom and a humility to be able to say, oh, I wasn't totally wrong, but I was wrong about this. And that both people are able to, to, to grant that. Mm-hmm. And when there is a common love of something, like a love of truth, then those conversations can be really, really fruitful. And they're genuine encounters with the other person and with Christ, because if we, if we genuinely encounter truth, then we genuinely encounter Christ. And I think that holds true of any conversation. Some of the most fruitful conversations I've had about the abortion debate are with people who are very pro-choice for various reasons, hmm. but we're able to agree that we both really love women and we care for women. And so if we can have that common goal of, okay, we both really love women and we're trying to care for them. We think that there's different ways to go about that. There's, there's then an underlying respect and, and an orientation to, oh, okay, I, I can kind of learn how you're going to see my stance as being X, Y, or Z, and I can better articulate myself um, and vice versa. So I do think that something that is essential in in good conversations is, is not this like, who's going to budge, but this sense of, oh, we both really love truth and we really love what we're, we're both oriented towards in this conversation. Um, because then it's not about who's winning something. It really is about a love of something good and true and beautiful. Well, and there's nothing wishy-washy in that either. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's a, you can still have your convictions yeah. and still be moving right. in the right direction. Cause there's another tactic that I, I hear people talk about. That's a little bit more loosey goosey is like, well, let's find common ground. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. not what you're saying. And I appreciate right. that because I don't care about common ground. It's useless because in our moral relativistic culture, it will remain there. If that's your mm-hmm. goal and you're trying to find common ground, you're not going to go any further. Move anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, which is again, where I think with good distinctions, what we're trying to do is move the ball forward, keep these conversations going so that we can all come closer to the truth. You know, St. John Paul, II in catechese tridende on catechesis um, wrote in, so there's like these little flashpoints from my master's degree that I've committed to memory. So I can mm-hmm. even tell you it's in paragraph five, if you want to learn more. Nice. Um, the definitive <laughs> aim of catechesis is to put people in touch and communion with Jesus Christ, that it's about an encounter. Mm-hmm. And same thing that, that Benedict is talking about in Deus Caritas Est is, and what you're talking about as well, is we're trying to encounter the truth together and we're trying to help people do that. I mean, to use the more modern, um, terminology of, of Pope Francis and Evangelii Gaudium, it would be, that would be accompaniment. It's walking mm-hmm. with someone, mm-hmm. um, not trying to batter them and, and be right, but keep moving the ball forward. Cause you know what you're focused on, you know, what is true mm-hmm. and you can share that truth. Um, and hopefully they will come along to understand as you have found this joy that you've found this gift uh, hopefully they'll receive that as well, but that will totally be dependent on their cooperation with grace and mm-hmm. the power and working of the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, and uh, to an extent, our cooperation with the Holy Spirit to help plant those seeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But we are not the ones who do the work of conversion. That's true. God is. Yeah. Um, we deserve hell. I'm just going to keep yeah. repeating that because I think it's, it's worth it's repeating. So true, yeah. We don't really um, deserve anything at all. We don't deserve, we do deserve anything hell, other than that. <laughs> at all mm-hmm. except for hell yes <laughs> <laughs> and on that note um no i think this is, i think that's a good place to end actually um yeah so i i appreciated this conversation Teresa. and uh for those listening if you have as well please subscribe on gooddistinctions.com uh, we're using substack as our platform because it allows us to put out newsletters and um, paid articles and podcasts all through there we also post every single video will be on substack so go to gooddistinctions.com to me- to never miss a thing you can sign up for free or become a paid subscriber paid subscribers will get access to our paid articles archive as well as any new paid articles that come out and you can subscribe for as little as five dollars a month that might not seem like a lot to you but if enough people contribute it can help us pay for a lot of the things that it takes to put these this sort of thing together so we'd be greatly appreciative of uh, your consideration on that and if you can't support us financially right now uh, please support us with your prayers 
Um, actually, regardless, please pray for us. We need please. the prayers. <laughs> and um, also, if you're on YouTube, please subscribe on YouTube, Instagram, at Good Distinctions, uh, and Facebook as well. So Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Substack. Check out all of those. We, uh, we also put out Reels and YouTube shorts pretty regularly that touch on some of the topics here, a little bit easier to share quickly with your friends and family. And uh, so thank you for watching. Thanks for being with us. Anything to add, Teresa? That's it. All right. Well, good distinctions. Out of spice of life.